Alright you absolute legends, welcome back to another episode of A Need to Read. I've got on the podcast for you today, Simeon Brown. He's written a book called Get Rich or Lie Trying. This was inspired by a long read that he wrote for The Guardian called The Wolves of Instagram for which he was nominated a 2019 Orwell Prize, which is quite a big deal in journalism. He works as a reporter and a journalist for Channel 4 News and has been hailed by some as the future of journalism. So it was pretty cool for me to have a chat with him about his book and for him to be so honest about his journey of writing the book and really just providing quite an insightful conversation. I think it was great for me and him to be able to chat to each other, for me being in this world and for him reporting on this world. So it's a conversation full of queries and questions and stuff to think about. So if you, after this conversation, are on social media, follow A Need to Read, at A Need to Read with the number two and not the word. That is where you can keep up to date with things. If you are, after this conversation, anti-social media, hey, I don't blame you. Sign up to the email list in the description of this episode. And that's where you can hear from me, with emails, with updates about a need to read. Now, before we get into the conversation with Simeon, I'd just like to talk about the people who make the show possible, the sponsors of the show, Athletic Greens and BetterHelp. Now, both the ad reads I'll try and make as interesting as possible from real-life examples from my life, not just a spiel or a script that I've been given. But if you know what they're about, feel free to skip on. The links for both are in the description if you should need them. First up, we have Athletic Greens. Now, I started taking Athletic Greens a couple years ago purely because of my distaste for vegetables. It helped me feel less guilty about not getting in the nutrients I needed. Now, that may not be the healthiest way to approach this, but that's how I started and that's the honest truth. However, Athletic Greens is a supplement you take once per day and it has over 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food source superfoods and probiotics and adaptogens. I don't know what adaptogens do. I don't know what probiotics do, but I know that they're probably good for me if Athletic Greens are including it because they have changed their formula almost 53 times. They have changed from when I first started using them from Athletic Greens to AG1 and they are constantly developing to bring you the best nutrition in one easy shake and it's green and it doesn't taste that bad that's an important promise most people will tell you that it tastes amazing look it's tolerable and it doesn't make you feel sick that's pretty ideal now athletic greens are going to make it real easy for you and give you one free year supply of immune supporting vitamin d five free travel packs for your purchase and all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read that is athleticgreens.com forward slash a need to read to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, pivoting very quickly back to your mind from your body, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp provide an online therapy service to millions of people all over the world from the security of their own home. You can get these calls with your therapist online via the chat system or a video call with them through a BetterHelp secure server. You get to chat to a therapist and it could be as quickly as within 48 hours. Once you've signed up to BetterHelp after completing their 10-minute questionnaire, you will be put through to a therapist within 48 hours. That's quite a quick turnaround. BetterHelp are making therapy not only accessible, but the speed of access as well is greatly improved compared to normal counselling services. So, if you are struggling at the moment and you think therapy might be a good idea, head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and you'll get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and that's 10% off. But with that out of the way, kick it off, Simon Brown. Welcome to a need to read. Thank you so much for taking the time to come down today. Yeah, no, I was at one point I was like, should I go down to South London? 
Uh, the Nova Line wasn't running, but it's a nice day today. And I walked a bit from Moorgate down to kind of Kennington. It's, you know, it's really, really nice. And you've got a good book collection here. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, mate. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming down. I'm, I'm glad that I've read this book, Get Rich or Lie Trying. I think for me in the space that I work in as a podcaster who like mostly generates traffic through Instagram, I was like, right, is this going to make me feel really bad about what I'm doing? <laughs> Or am I going to feel better about it? And I think for me personally, I feel a bit better about it, but it does make me see with a little bit more of a critical eye on other people. So if you just wouldn't mind explaining, what was your motivation to, to get this into a book? So I wrote a long read about four years ago for The Guardian called The Wolves of Instagram. And that was about all these young adults from areas a bit like this in South London, although pre-gentrified clapping, I think you could say, who were from the ends and they were wearing designer clothes, three-piece suits. They had based themselves in kind of huge offices in Canary Wharf, driving luxury cars, looking like they were living the life and saying that they were the CEOs of hedge funds and they yeah. were 21 years old. And I was like, what is going on here? Then as I began to pull the thread, in reality, they conceded that they were influencers they were building platforms for themselves as so-called traders to sign people up to their to their workshops or in real cases actual platforms where they were effectively making a profit of people losing money betting on like no win betting products that they were claiming were trading instruments okay um and so from that I then began to delve into the world of influencer economies and the way that they work. In everybody's mind, the archetypal influencer is someone on Love Island, yeah. um, somebody with a million followers, you know, somebody vain, looks a certain way, but actually influences far broader. It's anybody who is trying to generate income, attention, or labor via their social media platforms. And within that, there are various ways that people are doing that, as I'm sure as you know. Some of it is obviously via donations, but also some of it is via affiliate work that's kind of hidden. And also, increasingly by propelling pyramid schemes yeah. that don't look like it. And the irony is, of course, that actually social media, just using it in a face-to-face -face, uh, face -face way, sometimes works like a pyramid scheme in terms of how you actually grow your social media following by associating people with more clout and hoping that that comes down to you. But actual real-life pyramid schemes were a big drive of being regalvanized by yeah. the online space. And so as I began to look at these different words, worlds and looking at the different levels of exploitation, what I saw was a story of an economic generation. People who had huge ambitions because they expected to succeed by just following the route of kind of going to work and seeing their, what looks like the success of their peers and everybody feeling like if they aren't successful, if they don't have elite work, if they're not, if they don't have the trappings of wealth, then somehow there's a moral failing on them. Yeah. And then... Because of the nature of precarity and the fact that real wages are down for graduates uh, to a generation previous, to the cost of property, to all of these things which you would say are the staple of middle class life, becoming a little bit further out of reach for a generation yeah. who've graduated post-2008, suddenly social media has stepped in as the way to bridge that in very different yeah. ways. Whether that's kind of pursuing it as a kind of startup um, you know, entrepreneur or as an influencer, it was like the promise. But ultimately, what is actually galvanized is exploitative models, um, whole lot of scamming and fake it till you make it as a way of life and also as an industry. And so that was what I was interested in, as well as just this kind of 
economic and social moment for, you know, I, I would say young people, but fundamentally the oldest millennials now are like 40, 41, 42. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's, we're actually talking about significant swathe of the population now. Yeah, it's some, it does seem to be spreading. I feel like everyone and their mum's got a side hustle now. Everyone's got an Etsy that they're trying to sell something or a podcast or like, <laughs> there's a, like I'm going to acknowledge the irony of, of like me having this conversation because obviously, like I said at the start, I, I work on Instagram. I, under, I understand that there is a reputation now, rightly so, that people that are on Instagram are a bit more like modern day snake oil salesmen. The thing is right is that being a content creator in itself is not bad. This is not a book that says if you're creating content, then this is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about actually, you know, there's a lot of glitter and, you know, that glitter is manufactured, is, is presenting itself as gold. Yeah. And really at the heart of the book is, is a critique of this stage of capitalism and where we are in terms of what is the nature of the digital work, the precarity, um, the inequality between users and platforms, and also... If you are from a working class background and you are excluded from elite professions um, and networks, what does your life actually look like trying to make it online? And there's a lot of shadow economies that are exploiting people's ambitions. And so being a content creator, being super creative on TikTok, um, having a book podcast or whatever, the book is not scrutinizing just people online because yeah. we're all online. Although what it does highlight is the fact that these platforms do incentivize us to behave a certain way and become more embedded in the ecosystem in which we are propelled into media work. But then even then, it's like, who are the real beneficiaries? I mean, you might have a sponsor this year, you may not have one next year. Yeah. But either way, the shareholders of Instagram are still going to be winning. Yeah. And then even within that, the whole structure of the winners and losers um, is, is, is super interesting. I, I, I look at this a little bit in OnlyFans um, and some of the questions about, you know, who are the people that own these platforms? Who's able to raise money to launch these kind of platforms, launch yeah. uh, the big platforms that can scale up and the inequalities that persist and therefore can duplicate. Yeah. So that, these are some of the things that, that, that I was really grappling with and just the, the huge sense of pressure that people are under to, to succeed yeah but actually how much of it how much if we realize that you know where we're born when we're born who we're born to are some of the most important drivers of our outcomes in life maybe people would feel under less pressure by not being in the space that they feel like they they should be in that it's not it's not them yeah and therefore asking other questions around the nature of social democracy and collectivism and these things and so that was that was really the the critique of the book, actually, late stage capitalism, and and I guess the nature of this of of this kind of labour. Yeah, it's funny because that's the the narrative of like where you're born, who you're born to, being quite important is kind of being brushed over nowadays. Like if if you're not successful, like you did not work hard enough, you have done something fundamentally wrong, which makes you then a bad person because you are not successful. And success obviously isn't synonymous with like being a good person. And I think that's quite evident in, in our modern economy. Um, so what, what are the ways, because I'd, I'd like to look at the, the glitter and, and gold statement, right? Like what's, what's the most like shocking way you found people are trying to present glitter as gold? I mean, how long do you have? I mean, <laughs> how, how long do you have more like? <laughs> I mean, I guess what's interesting is right now we're in the middle of a kind of 
bubble when it comes to NFTs. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that is the clearest example of influencer hype that there is ever going to be. Literally speculating on, on ambiguous products, ambiguous things in the hope that you can turn a quick profit. Yeah. When really, in, in a lot of cases, all we're seeing is the transition of wealth from late adopters, who are usually unsophisticated investors, to early adopters who have the power of clout and influence and celebrity and can generate the kind of hype. And we're seeing the proliferation of like pump and dump groups and things of this nature, which are supposed to be illegal and had been a bogeyman of regulators when they were operating pre-social media. Um, and so those logics are really back in, are back in vogue. And, you know, NFTs are cool if you're like, no, I like this artist. I want to invest in them. I want to support them. Yeah. I'm happy to be, you know, a patron. And I'm going to buy this NFT because I just believe in the artist. But I'm not trying to make a quick return. Yeah. Fine. But if this is a speculative means, which you're saying to people are marketing, this is how you can make money. Buy in now. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on this gold rush. Then that is where clearly hype is at the driving point. And actually, there are going to be people who are going to be losing money. And in the book, there are people during the first wave of, I guess, post- Bitcoin, new coins and white papers that were being minted kind of 2018, 2019 when there's a huge prol proliferation of people realizing, oh, we can just make money that doesn't really value anything and we can charge people for it and we can create hype. This is just an easy way to make cash. Yeah. And suddenly though, everybody was doing it. It's like there were people in my book who were doing that and actually they were doing far more dubious things previously and they saw this as a way to generate quick, quick, quick cash yeah. using their influencer status, using their followings, using the hype that they created to make money via that means. So I think that that right now is the most ripe, to be honest with you. But then there are other ways too. And just looking at some of the hidden uh, economic drivers of culture in this space has also been interesting. Even looking at the proliferation of, I guess, the BBL, Brazilian butt lift, the Kim Kardashian shape thing. Yeah. With it be more than just, oh, everyone wants to be like Kim Kardashian. Actually, lots of people want like the idea of having greater independence and wanting to make money from celebrity and seeing that if they can look a certain way, they can maybe get a brand or a fashion over or PLT. And within that, then within that motive is another motive by which all these search school companies say, well, you know, if you, we will give you free surgery, we'll give you discounts. We may even pay you yeah. if you come and get these procedures and refer people to come and get them too. Yeah. If you can, get your followers to come if you can get your friends to come and then this incentive then enables that shape to grow and these companies yeah, to grow. yeah. um and that's how uber grew so uber grew because once upon a time you know if i shared my code with you i'll get 10 pound credit you'll get 10 pound yeah, credit. Yeah. i knew people who had like two grand credit on awesome. uber because like they were just sharing their code widely and that's yeah. that helped that platform that helped that company to grow and irony the same thing happened then with the bbl shape and the yeah. companies that were doing that and so there are all these kind of interesting things that are taking place right now, um, which obviously have consequences because the BBL surgery is, is the most lethal form of surgery that you can get. Yeah. So, can you, can, uh, sorry to interrupt. So someone tried to show you their tits while she writing this book, right? Can you, <laughs> can you just tell me about that lady or the owner of the breast? I mean, was, what's interesting about that is that you can actually watch uh, the, the, the film of that. So I... She's in the on book. your OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can you can actually watch the film with that because I actually did that um, for a Channel Four film as well. Okay. So, effectively, this is a young woman. 
she is a mother of two she is desperate to be an archetypal influencer um grow her social media following and she saw investing in herself as she called it and also as cardi b calls it investing in a bbl and multiple surgeries is a way to harness attention online yeah um also on other platforms only fans and so forth and she was regularly kind of tapped into this idea that you know you can't get a brand deal with fashion over about these things so she found companies who are based in turkey and basically went out there and basically got like infections her breast was rotting a nipple fell off um you can actually see it um if you go to my instagram there's a a video of me interviewing her and her talking about these things and yeah so, she, so we're in uh, the hotel room she said Yo, do you want to see it i mean you could probably smell it already because it's rotting flesh and then she showed it to us and it was super kind of ghastly um and actually she wasn't even the only person across writing this book who who uh bought surgery that i'd seen like it was yeah. just it was numerous and the interesting thing was a lot of them although she was different were not posting that they were having bot surgery yeah. if anything they they were posting the opposite yeah for various different reasons and they were part of communities called doll communities where people interested in surgery kind of congregate together share surgeries revere uh the surgeons who've become like celebrities in these places and then they were not posting the fact that they had gaping holes in their in their backsides and all these things and they'll say like why and they're like well bad press it's bad press <laughs> they were also hoping that the surgeons would correct it for free yeah. they didn't want to piss them off um and also they fundamentally just had you know an audience of people and they didn't want to feel embarrassed that they got they got in the surgery and it had gone wrong um so even though these communities were supposed to be based on sharing and sisterhood and all these things the actual incentives for them were to not engage in that practice it was yeah. to engage in dishonesty and not actually share the real risks of these procedures um and it's not even to say that this is just a case of saying that you know surgery is bad it's about saying no there are risks there are supposed to be rules as to how you promote and advertise these things yeah. to keep people safe to make sure they make the right decisions and ones that ensure that they don't die um let alone lose a breast and these things are just being completely bypassed yeah and that is an area of concern yeah for sure i think it's 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 brave of you to talk about it as a bloke because it is protected with this like blanket of like faux feminism of like female empowerment and like it's my body my choice i get to look how i want you don't get to dictate that i mean i, I mean I, I wasn't trying to grapple into the sense of should these people be getting surgery yeah. like those, those are not questions i was asked i was asking i was asking questions around what does it tell us about labor the demand on on on, on work what they think they have to do and also what are the economic drivers of this behavior? yeah yeah and I think that's a little bit uh, different. And so I'm trying to ask some of the questions yeah. as opposed to saying that, you know, I have the answers. Yeah, yeah. Saying. And yeah, no, I think, I think that I was conscious, you know, when you're certainly writing, you're removed from a particular community. You know, you have to make sure that, you know, you're, you're getting everything in there, that you're being fair, that, you, yeah. that you're, you're also trying to humanize what is happening. And I think, um, some of the early response and readers that I had and the people who were in the book, they seemed like um, they were happy with that. Yeah. Um, they, oh, they, they it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a critique. It's more of I think that it, it probably should be a critique. And I think that one thing that I'm not shy of yeah. is critique. In yeah. fact, I would, I would quite like to see a bit more critique, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I think, it, I think it's a valid 
I think it's a valid question. Yeah. Um, I definitely do think it's a valid question. But I think that's what I'm saying is like, I, I think this faux feminism thing is going to cause more issues. And I, I chatted with a friend of mine um, about OnlyFans before and about like my doubts of it. I saw a girl once who had made like 1.5 million from OnlyFans. So like she was one of the the few, right? The the very few who make it. And you, you interviewed her? No, I was, no. I was like seeing her. Okay, right. <laughs> I lived in Bali. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Girls in Bali. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Oh, so you, you were dating her? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, wow. You dating a millionaire? Yeah, no, that's, dating that's, a millionaire. That's, that's been nice. <laughs> um, well, now nah, she's vegan. She just bought me vegan food. So it wasn't that great. Okay, right. Um, but yeah, like I, I definitely see how... I did, well, I didn't know her before OnlyFans, right? But there was an aspect of her personality you could see was so heavily influenced by commodifying her body which is that's like something any feminist watching like oh my goodness you cannot say that as a white man it's like well yeah you're probably right but someone has to say it right and that's why it's good that you've like put that in the book because having these opinions we, we can't shy away from having them just because of the like potential outcry of of someone who's upset i i would say that in my book i was trying not to necessarily have an opinion i yeah, was just yeah. trying to report yeah what was happening what people were saying and raised some of the the questions and i guess with it's not even that um people can't commodify themselves they they are commodifying themselves it's more about the fact of, okay so how many people are actually winning in this sphere because i mean you date somebody who's making a lot of money that's a rarity like yeah. that's that's not the norm there was a huge jump in during covid of people turning to only fans yeah most of them were not making no. good money. Not like that. Um, and so it, it, it raises questions, I feel. It's again like, who really wins here? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Who, who are the real winners? I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Have you read um, Emily Ratchikowski? I haven't. You know Emrata? Yeah, 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 yeah. Emrata. Her book's really interesting. And I read her book after my book was, was effectively written. Yeah. And I wished that I would have read it before. Um, and I probably would have quoted from it because she talks a lot about, I guess, literally being the archetypal A-list influencer pinup. Yeah. And the, I guess the tension of effectively knowing that she's commodifying herself um, and I guess the gender imbalances that that continues to reproduce. Yeah. Um, and I write in the book, you know, um, some of the... Um, the, I guess the influences, the, the influences, I guess influencers too, but yeah. decide who are in the, I guess the fashion over space. And I'm thinking like Cardi B and who advocate, you know, the transformational power of sex work. Um, and the belief of that surgery is an investment in yourself. Um, some of the, I think I asked the question that it's like, the big idea at the heart of this is the thing that anything that makes one woman rich is good for all women. Yeah. And it's like, is that true? No. And I, and I, and I, and I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I don't answer it explicitly, yeah. but it, it's like, that's something that we should unpack and explore. And I think a lot yeah. of people are doing that and raising that question. And within, I guess within feminism, you know, it's a broad school of thought. Yeah. And there are, there's, there is, there is no uniform consensus yeah. as to, as to, you know, what the right answer is. But I mean, I guess 
fundamentally, though, there is a question over what does agency really look like, especially in a marketplace. Um, and I think that becomes a question of labour. And that was one thing that I was kind of focused on. Yeah, I, I have actually interviewed someone who was a former sex worker for the podcast before, and uh, she was actually friends with the girl that I was the only fans girl. It was really interesting to hear her take on it because, like you say, like if I was to say, "Oh, I don't think going into sex work would be a very good idea," like if if my sister was to say, oh, "I'm going to be a sex worker," I might be like, "Well, can you think about this?" And the reason that I would say that is because I've I've spoken to one person whose experience was in in one direction, but there could be another person who's had the polar opposite experience and, and felt really empowered and, and inspired many through through doing sex work. But speaking to that woman is like she went from very like tame kind of the stuff that TikTok promotes of like sugar daddies and stuff like that. All of a sudden she's full blown sex worker, um, is like disassociating from her body every time she's in like work. And and that's damaging long term for people, like for the most part. And I think with you, like what your nervous system holds on to and the trauma that that can create, like it's it seems to be quite a dangerous profession. If not for your mental health, but just like for, for the rest of your life to to hold that in your body, you have to do a lot of work and, and therapy is not cheap, man. Like it's it's quite expensive to go through. Um, so it's in, it's interesting. Um, in other parts of the book, I'm just going to go back to what you said about feminism not having like a leader the instagram accounts who were run by two men <laughs> i guess i guess that that was about the you know the commodification i guess of social movements um and you know you know we are currently undergoing you know a surgent wave of feminist idea and feminist movements um, especially post me too yeah. but within that that's been an opportunity for people to try and commodify that and actually as much as people talk about men women commodifying that actually a lot of men are people really only fans that. is owned by um, a man as well right you know only fans is owned by you know a man fashion over which has slogans like women empowerment owned by a man takes advantage of 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 uh, predominantly a female labor force who are underpaid in the production of the clothes and have wage theft and are being super exploited and then you know you have some of these big meme accounts online which put out a lot of feminist memes and effectively run by men yeah um who are hidden in my mask themselves. So it, it was really looking at, you know, look, 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 looking, look, looking at how content, which seemingly seems attached to social movements fundamentally is, is product. And then the, I guess the disassociative and depoliticizing impact of that in itself is something that the book touches on, but doesn't go into as much detail as maybe it could. It, it touches on it in detail, I guess, in the Black Lives Matter chapter and the Black Twitter chapter, but I mean that this is always, I guess, the challenge of our time, right? In which we've we've like mined every resource known to man, and yeah. the only thing left really is just people, yeah. And trying to find new ways to do that in this media age, in which these platforms incentivize us to do more and more of that. Yeah, and then I suppose if you create the means for people to do that, you're this visionary person, you're this like personification of this like entrepreneurial self. Have you have you read Selfie by Will Storr? I I have started it. Yeah, I I I've started it. I found it. I found I found it interesting. Obviously, I'm trying. I've been trying to read a lot of books, Slam. which are I guess are in the same area of interest. Yeah. So I think there are overlaps between Get Ritual, I Trying, and Selfie, although they're very different books. Yeah, I yeah. guess there are overlaps with this book and Gio Tolentino's book. 
and overlaps with um, another book, I think Break the Internet, um, which is a very interesting history. Um, and so, yeah, I've, it's on my radar and um, I've read parts of it, although I haven't finished it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, well, it's one of my favourite books ever. I think it completely changed the way that I look at myself in work and, and in general life, just from a perfectionist point of view. Because okay. I think social media is going to try and encourage you to be a perfectionist, right? You're, you're never going to be quite good enough. But he, he introduced this idea called Calicagathia. Um, which is essentially an old and ancient Greek word that's like beauty is synonymous with good. It's like the virtue of beauty. So we listen to people who are beautiful. And that seems to be the problem on, on Instagram. It's like there are a lot of really pretty people, really attractive people. A, a lot of them are very intelligent as well. There are a lot of them who are not so intelligent. And they're giving advice out on things that it's tough to say right because who who has the right to give advice on anything yeah it's true um who would the, who would the right to write a whole book you know <laughs> this guy <laughs> um yeah it's it's definitely strange that well, it's not strange because this has been around for thousands and thousands of years yeah yeah uh, but you, you speak about it in the book and i can't remember the name of the girl who does it but she had beef with florence given okay um because i've actually and this is through lack of research. Like I've dismissed Florence Given's book before because of the beef that she had with, with the woman in, in your book. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Because I, I just thought... That oh, she had stolen it. That, that she'd stolen it, yeah. So it's, it's really... Can you, can you explain that? Because I think I've probably spoken about it on the podcast, so sorry everyone for being wrong, but I'm a human. I guess in the book, I look at the consequences of social movements solely becoming just content yep. and the way that i guess activist influences are incentivized to behave and one of the disputes that i guess was on the horizon when i was writing the book was a dispute between two influencer kind of activist writers one's called the slumflower Shadira Egure, i think it's the pronunciation and then florence given I was more interested particularly in Slumflower, who I found to be a very interesting character, very yeah. kind of charismatic, you know, interesting, interesting person, had done lots of interesting things and become quite prominent. And I guess I was looking at the way that she had some of the ideas, what were, dis what were fueling her dispute with uh, Florence Given, I felt were questionable. And a lot of people at the time were raising these questions. And I guess I looked at it and unpacked it in greater detail. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So what what were your findings? Well, my findings? I mean, I don't know if I'd say I had findings, but I definitely <laughs> unpacked it. I love journalists. You never answer a question properly. I, just... <laughs> I would say that I would say that I unpacked it step by step. And I think a lot of people felt uncomfortable by the way that the reparations movement had been used. Mm. Books themselves, there are genres of books. I'm sure you've come across books which feel very similar are marketed very similarly. And so it's like, that's almost a part of almost media. Yeah. Whether it's music, whether it's books, there's a template approach to it. And I guess the audiences of their books, what in the eyes of publishers are quite similar. Yeah. The books are, you know, they're separate, they're separate, they're separate projects, but there's a familiarity to them. And I guess many people felt uncomfortable with the idea that what we, they were seeing was was actually a deviation of real inequalities and histories of inequalities that were used and that were used to aggregate or 
It's a word. That were used to... F- What's the word? Aggravate the dispute yeah. between the two influences that felt yeah. a lot more personal than okay. it was presented. And so I looked at the way that some of the ideas that we've been discussing online around justice, Black Lives Matter, reparations even, had effectively been, I guess, manipulated, misunderstood, misaligned with their with, with their cause yeah. by influencers who didn't quite understand them. And then for an audience then... With that, isn't it? And then for an audience, and then for an audience then, before an audience then, suddenly now they had misrepresented important discourses, which is how someone like you now yeah. can completely dismiss the other book on the ground that well, it must be right, it must be true. Yeah, actually, yeah. That wasn't really what was happening. So I, I wasn't kind of unpacking, unpacking, unpacking that within a broader uh, chapter, looking at how uh, some of the profit motives of the platforms that Black Lives Matter had been on had distorted it somewhat. Yeah. What happens when, you know, justice movements suddenly solely focus on content and the role that yeah. clout rage plays in these spaces. So yeah, that's what that chapter was on. Some people find it quite spicy. So for some reason, yeah, yeah. everybody wants to ask me about that that chapter. <laughs> I was like, listen, go and read it. <laughs> go, it go, go and read it because I think that for me, I was definitely reporting. I was definitely reporting on, 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 on what I saw and I think that there were a lot of the time, there's a lot of discourse around it. Yeah. And for me, it really spoke to some of the pitfalls of finding truth on platforms where outright, where, where outrage is, you know, incentivized. Yeah. And also the hierarchical nature of social media is that, whereas maybe if you are learning in a class or whatever, it's a flat structure, the teacher there's a feedback mechanism yep. there's greater equality but on social media when people are propelled into celebrity into activists suddenly it's like they don't have that feedback loop so yeah. they're learning but then they're also leading whilst learning and then it enables miscomprehension especially when they're when they're leading people who aren't particularly well versed in yeah. history so for on reparations for example i mean reparations is a long movement about getting compensation for the descendants of you know yeah. of slave trade and slavery and I guess the, the attachments to colonialism as well. So if you then say, well, this author needs to give me money back as reparations, it's like you are yeah. conjuring up a huge history there. And for many people, reparations is far broader. It's about collective justice. It's about, you know, it, you know it, it's about mass investment. Mm. It's not like, all my followers give me money now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, 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 as a quality. Like, it, it, and so it's like, question is, how then do we get to a stage where that is how it's understood? Yeah. And then I guess the process of that for me, the platform play a big part, the way the discourse evolves online plays a big part in that. And that's what that chapter is really trying to look at, as opposed to um, starting beef. What, that, yeah, 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 that yeah. I'm not interested. I'm just, <laughs> just reporting what's going on. And I guess the interesting of a book like this is that it's... I, I think I say in the, in the acknowledgements that I largely like, really liked everybody that I interviewed or was, or was writing about and I found them super interesting people and I was trying to capture their humanity whilst yeah. capturing the kind of inhumanity of the systems in a way that I guess some of the economies that they're trying to mm. thrive in leads them to do. And so 
for me that that's a kind of core that, that that's a core feature but at the same time i'm aware that some people will find it you know critical and dealing with that critique in the book may be challenging yeah but it was definitely led by a place of trying to write honestly about what i was seeing online and i i think that i largely i didn't waver from that and that might be uncomfortable to some people yeah but i i think you've done a pretty good job i like i i I read a lot of books and I'm trying to now be a bit more of a book snob. <laughs> and and I think books written by like journalists or like, call yourself a journalist? I'm a journalist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like them because they explore and they're objective and you get kind of like the inside scoop and I guess that's always been the job of the journalist. Um, but I'm just going to go back to, I'm going to pivot to something I've completely forgotten. All right, okay. Um... My relationships are brands. This is this is what I want to talk about. So I can see how people get sucked into like these these small decisions that are then like gateway decisions that takes you into selling something you then don't believe in. From the start of having a podcast, like and I've I've always had a cynical view of social media. But like about a year before I started the podcast, I'd actually come off Instagram for like four or five months just because I died think it's quite a toxic place and it's only getting worse right there there are positive corners of it but there are definitely more negative sides so i i consider myself to have like quite high integrity and it's always been like one of my core values of this podcast so i had a sponsor and i well people will know because they listen to the podcast it was a like a supplement for just a multivitamin right? okay interesting and I'd been using it for about four months and it, it had essentially given me what it needed it needed to and it, it improved my sleep. Then I stopped taking it for about two or three weeks. Like, oh, actually, nothing has changed here. And I was like, right, I'm just going to have to drop that sponsor immediately. Um, fortunately, I was approached by Athletic Greens and I'd been taking that for years. I'm still aware of like everyone who sponsors this podcast. I'm still aware that like maybe, maybe I'm being duped. I don't think I am but I'm not too closed off to the idea that someone at some stage could present me that idea and I'll be like, oh shit, yeah, I'm sorry. And I and I think the problem with Instagram at the moment is there are not enough people thinking critically about the brands that they're attaching themselves to. They're just like being willy-nilly. My ex-girlfriend was an influencer. I remember she did a campaign for an energy drink company. I'd never seen her drink the energy drink at all. And she had about 60 of them in her house and none of them were ever touched. And I was like, do you not feel like a bit, like a bit bad? Like you don't even drink that shit. And she was like, oh, it's like 800 quid. So uh, if you're watching this, sorry for dobbing you in, but <laughs> I doubt you are. Um, I get, but I can see how people get sucked into it because like, they got rent, they got bills to pay. Yeah, I People mean, have been in pyramid schemes forever, right? I mean, I think, I think, obviously... There is a thing with authenticity and people following people online because they're presenting as super honest and then obviously it is a form of work and therefore, you know, there is a element of, I don't know, performance or whatever. Mm. I, on, the, on, the, on the side of it, if a, I don't know, a neutral brand, say you don't, say, say you don't like tomatoes. Yeah. And a tomato company says, hey, provide some tomatoes. It's, I, if you if you don't really like tomatoes, I have an issue with that. Unless you're telling everybody, "Oh yeah, I really love these tomatoes," and then if that's a lie, then whatever. But if I say, "Yeah, promote this drink. This drink's okay," 
it's good for a, it's good for a tomato if you like that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, if, I don't really see that as being as being an issue so much. I think that it's like at the what I found is that in the influence economy at the upper end, people have far more agency. Mm-hmm. If you're making a significant amount of money from partnerships, if you're Molly May, for example, you know you turn down to partnerships more often than you accept because yeah. you have that agency to do that. At the lower end, that is where there is less agency. And it's the pyramid schemes. It's some of the dubious investments. It's more harmful products, I think, and surgeries and things of this nature where there is real cause for concern. Yeah. The How authentic people are online, I think that that has an impact in certain spaces more than others in terms of the cost. So, for example, in, in the activist space, yeah. misrepresenting actual events to generate outrage is problematic. Yeah. It leads to post-truth and misinformation and anger being concentrated in the wrong places. This, I think, has is, is worrying. But your ex-girlfriend who drinks that she doesn't like, she, she could have that. You know what I mean? She's not, she's not, she's not scared of the real podcast. <laughs> Um, so I think I think there there are different things at play, but fundamentally, I guess when you when your work is also like linked to your personhood, yeah, and therefore separation is is kind of tricky because you're attaching so much of yourself to it. I guess that has a kind of cost, and there are all kind of parasocial relations that form, I guess, with your audience, so to speak. And I think that 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 is an area. Is interesting, somewhat different-ish to kind of what I'm looking at, but it is it, interesting, and I think, in many ways, trying to be, be authentic online, it's a paradox. As as also create as well, it has also created interesting counter switches where then people are trying to perform authenticity, but actually then going too far the other way, yeah, and then yeah. so suddenly you're in a constant escape. You're you're you're, you're constantly unable to escape the art of performance, and for me, as somebody who enjoys a level of privacy and and even though I'm public facing in the work that I do, an- anonymity, I'd say, yeah. I'm not a celebrity. I would say yeah. that there, I was, uh, I'm not planning to be one. <laughs> I would say that there's, I think that there's a cost to, but that costs many, way, many ways is on that individual. Yeah. Um, when it adds up, I guess, we look at the broader impact. But, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you're a better place to answer that question as somebody with a significant audience and uh, maybe feeling that you're constantly under the gaze and not wanting to mm. to deviate from that. I mean, that's that's a different kind of pressure. And I guess that's the pressure of, I guess, from the industrialization of celebrity in which celebrity is now so attainable and something that more people are part of because all you need is 30,000 followers to be a celebrity, according to the ASA. Yeah. Um, so Almost there. Almost there, you know. So uh, yeah, I think I think that these are these are like social, cultural, and you know psychological questions. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't answer those questions. I'm afraid, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I think I think that I think that the cost of that, which I kind of nod at a few times, is like most people who go around who go about their daily work, their labour is removed from their personal. Yeah. They go to work anonymous. They come home. That's it online now it's like your place of work and your place of like life and socialization same place yeah and i guess that's why things like you're cancelled get such headlines and people feel so personal about because they're aware that 
their perception is so tied in with their with their income and things yeah. like that. And you know what? I think I I I don't. I think I think that's I think that's unhealthy. Yeah. Um, or it, it or it can lead to. Psychological disconnect. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? So I don't know. I mean, you 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 probably best place to answer as I said. I, it's it is such a strange one, and I think I like I do feel conflicted working on yeah, it. Yeah. I I don't feel that I necessarily do much, like for performative measures. Like I, I know I could get so much more engagement if I did like a few different things. And I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Like, if I was to take my top off, right? Like, say Excel. If I like had my top off or like covered my nipples or my penis with a book, like more people would like look at it. More people would like it. I'd get more engagement. I then probably subsequently would get more income. But it's like I don't want to. I don't want to do that because I like I worry what that would lead me to. I mean, you know, you say that now, but I mean, right now you're content. Maybe next year you need a mortgage. I don't know. But I'm, I'm happy to go get a job. Like that's that's. I okay. think I've, I've I've liberated myself by like just before Christmas. I said like I I was actually going to stop the podcast because I was like I, I don't want to get sucked into this online world. I had a bit of an existential crisis, and then I was like, actually I can just I'm in charge of what I do here. I can just do what I like to do. So like I changed the logo, had a little bit of a rebrand, changed the way that I do things to make it more of a more of an educational educational platform, and um. I feel so much better for it. I'm earning a lot less money. Like this, oh God, this flat is killing me at the moment. But I'm, I'm not going to sell out for it. I'm, I'm leaving London in July. If I need to, oh really? Where are you going? Probably back to Bali. Okay. Uh, oh really? Yeah, neither of only fashion stuff. Nah, it's just it, like I third my rent over there. I get to do jujitsu like twice a day. Every yeah, day. yeah. Like I, it's, it's a way better for my well-being being out there. And I want to go back to Australia at some point. But yeah, I definitely, I can understand how financial pressure will then lead people to, to do different things. But I've, I've got it in my mind now that like, what well, I get a job like a normal person. Like I've been pretty lucky for the last couple of years to not feel. I mean, it's, it's funny you say normal people, but it's like everybody's pivoting to content. Mm. Even like, you know, investors, businessmen, I'm sure postmen, people working in, in you know what I mean? It's, it's an, it's an economy which there is an incentive yeah, and which it can even enhance your day-to-day job. So yeah. that's what people believe. And so it's like, I was interested in this kind of pool of all people into yeah. media work. Um, and then how that kind of escalates. And you know, not, not everybody's going to end up as a scammer. Some people maybe, but not everyone's going to end up as a scammer. But within that, then it does, you know, it, it then raises questions over, over us as a culture as a media-based culture, as all be media workers and creators. And and then, yeah, I think, you know, the winners and then the, the impact. So, I mean, you say you get a normal job, but it's like, you know, what does that even mean in the media age now? Let alone where real wages are down. Yeah. Um, real wages are down and there's like a tightening and a polarisation in, in, in labour market. So, in, in 10 years' time, this might even be seen as just like, normal work we've yeah seen about we've seen the explosion of i guess the gig economy you know the yep. gig economy i guess is broad um there's an elite end and a lower end but it's like that's something that has been growing yeah and i guess that has even been a part of the book right this sense that you know permanent secured uh, well-paid work it hasn't always necessarily been a ubiquitous thing but it's like the the consensus is always shifting now to 
a world in which the freelancer independent space is much bigger. Yeah. But that, you know, that, that precarity comes at a cost. I mean, we saw with COVID, lots of people were completely just left extremely exposed. People yeah. who were in secure employment, you know, they had a bit more agency. Yeah. Furlough, but also, you know, you work for a company, if you, eventually if you get let, let off, there's, there's more support there. Yeah. But people in the gig economy, you know, that lots of people, you know, were out. My barber, for example, it's like he, he, he hasn't even recovered. So he, the expansion of that space is not, it's not quite as liberating as we think. And actually the explosion of influencer work speak is also a part of the explosion of gig economy work and yeah. uh, rising precarity. And, you know, sometimes you're up and sometimes you're not up. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? And then how long can you afford to live by your morals? Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you, you might have to call back that guy selling that, that multi, <laughs> that, 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 that tablet and be like, you know what? I was wrong about that. Well, Deal. Can, can we reconnect? I think as some of the people that were that listed to this podcast, so okay, that right, okay. that'll be that done. But that's yeah, burning bridges. That means you have to stay somewhere and make it work. Um, but yeah, I I think what's the last thing that you said there about the gig economy, right? What people need to realise, and and this is to people listening the, like to the podcast and and anyone who's thinking about entering the gig economy, it's like being your own boss, not as fucking glamorous as people like think it is. <laughs> but 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 that that's at the heart of the kind of hustle culture, right? And it's like, even where, it's like, even if you have a good job, it's like, nah, you're, you're a chump. Yeah. You have to work for yourself, be a millionaire. Everyone's doing it. Everybody can. It's very easy. All these kind of things. And it's like, it, it's a part of that laissez-faire individualism, which is a very much an American thing, but is, is misunderstanding of how a macro, a macro economy works. Yeah. Um, and that was what I studied at, at university economics. And so, yeah, it, the ubiquity of this of this school of thought and the fact that influencer culture is the personification of it and the reality of it is is for me, I think, the economic side of, of the influencer culture that never really gets pronounced as much. Yeah. It's just like, oh, these silly people want to be famous. But it's like, no, there's actually an economic trend which this is a part of. Yeah. Which sooner or later we are going to realise what the costs are yeah, and who the winners are. And and I guess my book was primarily focused on those at the lower end, those who were losing or trying to win, but were not blue chip YouTubers or Love Island stars or only fan content creators making 1.5 million pounds yeah. a year or a month, I don't even know. So it, it, was, it, was trying, it was trying to really show you, okay, if you really want to understand how a system works, look at those who are at the sharp end. Yeah, it's it's weird that like we fetishize celebrities. I know we've been doing it for so long, but people will like read a book, buy a celebrity, and be like, "Oh my god, it's possible! I can I can do it too!" And then they join the bottom of the ladder, and then this whole like Pareto distribution of like wealth and yeah, yeah, power, yeah, yeah, like yeah. like this small, small, small percentage of people at the top are and and you know, I, I I'm I'm all for people feeling motivated and feel having confidence and trying to make things happen but not internalizing failure and thinking that they're the failure yeah for fundamental structural reasons which go beyond them yeah um and then also exalting this way the exalting being a struggling entrepreneur because this is this is heroism and because mm. this is 
this is this is more important than you know care work or other forms of labor um and then also the consequence is just that then you take your eye off actually making demands and having an imagination about looking at the kind of world that you can collectively make with other people Mm. but has a kind of political impact what would that be well i mean fundamentally it's like one of the issues that i was interested in was a lot of the people who are really you know evangelists for laissez-faire individualism right now are people who are once working class working classes used to have a more collective sensibility that was expressed i guess in class-based or collective-based politics, trade unions, and, and, and communitarianism. I think a lot of that for generations has been eroded, mm. and now it's like individualism is key. That's it. Yeah. But then with collective-based politics, you can look, okay, so what are the things that we're all experiencing? I did a piece recently on housing. People who live in an estate, conditions are awful, bad. Mm. And they said, you know, we're going uni- to create a rented union on this estate. We're going to collectively go to our landlord and we're going to demand these things. And if things get, you know, things get awful, then we, we might organise a rent strike. We're going to try and organise collectively yeah. to get changes on our, on our housing estate. You can only do that collectively. Yeah. You have more strength. Um, but if you're a believer in, in, in individualism, you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to hustle my way out of this estate. I'm going to hustle my way out of this estate. I'm going to yeah. go in there and I'm going to buy a, uh, an affluent estate in the country or something yeah. like that. Um, and if you achieve it, fair play to you. But actually the odds are weighted against you. Maybe it's like, maybe the, the imagination needs to be stretched a bit. And there's a difference between what is the sensibility of the time? Is it about how do we organise together and do stuff together? Or is it like, no, we're all individuals on our own two feet. And that has an impact on the kinds of policies we ask for, social democracy, how we treat each other, all these things. So that that was really the sensibility that I was really asking questions about yeah I, I actually watched your report on that before you came over oh it hasn't uh, in, in hackney yeah um i think it's it's great to see stuff like that happening because this whole sense of community like i've i've lived in like villages down south no community there like at all i'm sure there is but like i've never been in contact with it there'll be like little subgroups within it but there isn't a sense in british culture of community and i think if you are like a british pride act no i don't know i don't know if i agree with that i i think that britain and the country like nations are are somewhat imagined places right it's a lot of different people different sensibilities i think that globalization and nationalism does try and marry and the one sensibility becomes more dominant and things of that nature but it's like you know a courtney sensibility was very different to a scout sensibility and then you have like different people in different places of the country uh, if you live in like a, a, you know a rural community the vibe is different to you know if you live in it, Brixton yeah um, and so in different places the sensibilities vary sensibility of the middle classes have always been a bit more individualist because yeah. they can afford to be uh, the working class a bit more collectivist because they need each other yeah. and they can't afford to pay for certain things they need someone else to chip in that requires a different level of consciousness so I think that there's definitely the history of this country. I was reading a book, uh, History of the Working Class. Um, it's it's like a famous like a famous book. Yeah. I mean, it looks at the collectivist ideas and activities of the working class in this country for you know hundreds of years. Um, you know, there's been communitarianism in this country. There've been pockets of it, but I think, and even in Europe, Europe has generally been a place which has 
pivoted to social democracy in a way that America hasn't. Because that America's like the individual's king. That's yeah. it. That's what we're about. Keep it moving. Yeah. Britain, less so, but it has a very different class trajectory. Yeah. And the sensibilities within those classes are different, let alone between the geographies of the mm. country, which then you say one country, but there's different, there's, there's, there's such yeah. plurality and diversity historically. So no, I think, I think that there has been collectivism here, but I think that for a generation, the sensibility for that is eroding and a, we are seeing atomization that people are, have been writing about and talking about for a long time. Yeah. And I think with social media, that is almost the escalation of that, let alone not just in terms of um, the way we live our lives socially and culturally, but just the economics of it. Yeah. I mean, even you doing your podcast you know, by yourself, um, your own boss, um, although you're obviously talking to people, so that that's, I guess, public facing. Yeah. You know, there, there is an element of that being work that you're doing alone, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, hey, it's um, a lonely, lonely job, I'm not going to lie. Like, so, so, I'm quite happy with that, I'm quite introverted, but... But then you have yeah. to escalate that, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, have to es- you, have to escalate, you have to escalate that and think, okay, so people, once upon a time, always worked with other people. Now increasingly, they work alone. Yeah. Working from home with COVID was a, was a big thing and it, you know, it really pushed people, people mentally, mm. you know, losing that sense of contact at times. And it was super challenging for people who have to work and live, who were working, who were working alone, you know, maybe they were living alone or they were isolated or whatever. So, you know, there is an, like, there is a need for human contact that humans have. And that atomization as economic way of life now, you know, is, there's a cost of that. Um, and it's not that I'm saying oh, everything, all these changes are bad. It's like, no, we need to talk about there is a cost. What is it? Yeah. And then being able to pronounce that. And then we can talk about whether that's good or bad. Yeah. I think starting the discussion around those things is super important. Like, have you read Lost Connections? I haven't read Lost Connections. Uh, I, I think for me, it's one of my favorite ever books because yeah. he, he's just like, he writes a great yeah, story yeah. whilst educating and he, he's just a fucking brilliant writer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it talks about the importance of human connection. And I often forget how important human connection is. Yeah, and then yeah. every now and then I'll go and like, I'll meet a stranger. I, I went to Mexico in January and like, I spoke to some strangers and I don't, I don't like speaking to just like strangers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Normally, but I spoke to like an Austrian couple at this hostel I was staying at and some like Dutch girl in a cafe in the morning. And I, after these conversations, I was like, why do I feel so good now? I was like, oh, actually that's because human yeah, connection yeah, is fucking important it's, 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 it's very important and the contradiction of social media is like never before have so many people been so well connected but also felt so alone yeah um and that that that's real um that 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 that, that is real but yeah no i think that's pretty much the book get yeah. rich for life trying um but yeah no i think that the points that you raise speak to you know the real psychological and social you know, impact of this of this way of this way of life now. Yeah, and I, I we're we're not our understanding of it is still very limited. Yeah, and you know even though we, oh, we talk like our understanding is still very it's still we're still in the early stages. Yeah, of this process, um, and that, but it in a short amount of time it has really, I think, changed us. Yeah, 
in what in what way do you think we have changed the most like from from this well i mean even down to like the the barrier between the public and uh the personal yeah. i mean the thing that we, we've been touching on with you know the other day i was discussing you know, what does it mean to be a public figure um and if you have a social media and you're public facing and you're engaged i guess in public conversation and public life even if even if you come from a, a base with a, a few followers or what would not be seen as a lot of followers it's like that's you existing in this in this in this in this arena and then carrying yourself almost like a public figure yeah um and then you know all it takes is a viral moment suddenly now you're a public interest or or, yeah. or what have you and this, and this and this has a consequence and i think that you know i i'm not i'm not I have a level of privacy um, that I'm afforded, but increasingly, like people's personhood is so attached to their labour that I think that 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 is new. Yeah, I think that I think that that is new, especially on the scale that we're seeing. The industrialization of celebrity is new. I think the extent to which we are products in every field, I think that is new. I think that is new. Exploitation is not new. Precarious labour is not new. Um, but the inequality, the, the extent of the inequality between the so-called users who are also, also slash workers of the platforms and the platforms themselves, the levels of dis- disproportionalities is new. Yeah. You know, people, people obviously talk about, you know, Facebook was a country, how many people would be in it? How, how big a country would it be? And it's like, okay, so... We we use this platform. Many people feel that we can't break away from it, and it's I guess it's satellites, Instagram, or, or whatever. What's that? Yeah. So it's like, well, if now, if you're somebody whose labour is now attached to these to these to these sites now, if they change the algorithm, that could impact you. Oh, mate, the algorithm. Um, if they change the algorithm, that that could impact you. That can impact how much you can make. That can impact your ability to pay your mortgage. So what does that mean now? Should you should you unionize? Should you get a vote? Mm. You know, it means like. No, you don't have the power. It's a private yeah. company. So it was well, public company, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, suddenly now you, you start to look at, okay, so how should we then behave now going forward? So, and it's all of these things which are still in the early, we're still in the early stages of discussing. Yeah. And uh, I guess the book is getting into, but not in that kind of detail. Yeah. It's very much driven more by human stories. And I guess the human condition in this form of modern work, yeah. especially where it incentivizes dishonesty or outrage and yeah. yeah i think yeah so but yeah i think i think it's definitely although i think obviously we've gone down i'd say quite uh sophisticated corners in this in this discussion i i wouldn't say that like, the book's not like academic no, 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 no. i don't want to read that book it's <laughs> too many scary scary stuff it's like, <laughs> it's like actually it's, it's quite, uses quite, many big words yeah yeah it's, it's quite it's quite it's, it's far more accessible and, yeah. and, and easy to read and it's mate it's got it's got really good stories the yeah. people in there are fascinating yeah interesting um, yeah especially interesting. when you went over to the states they were they were definitely interesting people for sure um and obviously it's the best book i've got to go soon yeah yeah yeah, cool. yeah yeah um we'll wrap it up it's the best book ever i can <laughs> read it i can't it's the best you guys i've just come across this book it's amazing <laughs> Um, I've got a discount code for you. Hashtag ad. <laughs> um, yeah, no, mate. I think it's a great book. I think it'll be interesting for a lot of people to get into and to kind of see the extremes. Um, and, well, yeah, they are all kind of like the extremes of, of 
that side of the internet. I don't know if I'd even say they're that extreme. You know, I think a lot of it, a lot of the behavior in there. Some of some of it is more extreme than IRL live streamers, but everybody oh, yeah. else is. I mean, yeah, I think everybody else is. Everybody else is arguably in the middle ground of the internet of what's happening. It's all very normal. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's there's a lot happening that you just don't see. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, if you like the book, if you like the sound of the book, uh, read it. And if you don't like the sound of the book, um, still buy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening to that episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing it. If you didn't enjoy it, just share it anyway. You might as well. Uh, links for everything that's relevant to a need to read are in the description of this episode. Uh, sponsors, BetterHelp, Athletic Greens. Uh, signing up to the email list, that's pretty important because I write stuff and sometimes it's pretty good. So, you know where to look. It's in the description. I'll let you get on with your day. Thanks much for listening. You're legends. Love you. Bye.